Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Jen Price fell in love with craft beer during her college summer internships in Boulder, Colorado. In her free time, Jen began educating herself on the craft beer scene and then started offering beer tasting classes, writing a book on craft beer, and launching a tasting room in Atlanta. The pandemic prevented her from opening the Atlanta Beer Boutique and instead led Jen to use her expertise and pivot into launching a second beer-focused business, Crafted for Action. On today's show, Jen and I talk about the process of writing and self-publishing her book, how the pandemic impacted the opening of her bar, and how she's continued her entrepreneurial journey with a new venture. Stay tuned. Jen, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome, uh, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So Jen, uh, I think it'd be great if um, you just tell us first a little bit about your background, uh, like where you're from, um, where'd you go to school, all of those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Decatur, Georgia, which is a little east of Atlanta. It's in the metro Atlanta area. Um, yeah, grew up here, high school, uh, went off to college. I went to um, Bethune-Cookman College uh, right out the gate, which is in, in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm glad you told us where that was because I don't know where that is. <laughs> it's a small, yeah. historically black college down there on the beach. Beautiful, beautiful town and just an awesome setting for college. Um, I, I, and did you pick that college because of the history of the college or because it was by the beach? Uh, I got a full scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> My dad picked the college. <laughs> I was actually enrolled to go to Tuskegee, which is another historically black college in Alabama. Right. Um, my background, I mean, I was I was going to study engineering and they have a great program there. And uh, yeah. Bethune-Cookman called in the 11th hour with a full presidential scholarship. And my dad was like, well, it looks like we're going to school in Daytona Beach. So that's where I went. Um, <laughs> I did, I, and, and you were like, well, there's the beach. There can so be workplaces. It's, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. <laughs> I was very excited once I got there and saw how beautiful the campus was. Um, but I, that's great. so they didn't have an engineering program per se. They have um, a lot of historically black, black colleges have arrangements with other HBCUs or other bigger schools to, um, if, if, if a student is at their school and does and they don't they want to be an engineer, but they don't have the program, they'll send you to another school. It's called a three two program, a dual degree program. So I was duly enrolled at Bethune Cookman. I did three years there um, and basically majored in math, took all the math courses that they had to offer and a few of the pre engineering classes that they had. Um, and then the arrangement was for me to transfer to Florida A&M University. Um, it's mm -hmm. a Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University in Tallahassee another historically black college. That's where I transferred to for the, the two part of the three, two program to finish there um, and focus on my civil engineering degree. So I did, I did both of those back to back, um, decided that I did not want to be an engineer by any stretch. It was not, didn't jam well with me. I just didn't, didn't love it. I mean, I, I 
suffered through the program. I did pretty good, but I just knew I didn't want that for a career. So um, one of my professors recommended that I look at the School of uh, Planning, City Planning, Urban Planning at Florida State. And I applied and I got in and that's where I went to grad school. So I spent two more years in Tallahassee um, before I before I left and moved to Philadelphia. But during that time um, in in college, I had a really cool internship at the uh, it was called the National Center for Atmospheric Research. It was out in Boulder, Colorado. And I had no interest in atmospheric research whatsoever. But Boulder, Colorado is so beautiful. And I fell in love with the city and there was beer everywhere, like beer better than anything I'd ever had in my whole life. And so I interned with them every summer for four years <laughs> with no no interest in being an atmospheric scientist. Um, I got to use my engineering degree there, though, a lot and then taste incredible beer, which is really what turned me on to craft beer. Yeah. So at what point uh, did you... Uh, get that entrepreneurial bug. Hey, were, were you ever, did you ever do anything entrepreneurial when you were a kid? No way. Or, or was it? Absolutely not. No? No. Never. Nothing. No. Okay. No. Never thought I'd be no, a no, business. No entrepreneurs in the family or anything uh, else like that? Not, not until I got a little older. Like both of my parents worked, were, my father worked a very corporate job. He worked in the oil business for Mobile Oil Corporation. And my mom was a teacher. Um, and so they work very traditional, you know, jobs. And I was supposed to also work a very traditional job. My brother actually was an entrepreneur, but I don't know if I recognize that. He, um, he, uh, owns a paint company with his father-in-law. He started it out with his father-in-law, um, training under him at the time. And so I never really thought of that as being an, an entrepreneurial sort of endeavor, but I guess it was, but no, like the, yeah. the focus or the the plan was for me to have a corporate job and, you know, have a nine to five and a 401k and retirement and all that, all that good traditional stuff, which I did for a very long time. I don't think I got bit by the bug until I moved to Philadelphia. Um, that was after Charlotte moved there and worked for a woman owned company um, as a planner. And I was, I think that was the first time I worked for someone who owned their own company. And I was just so fascinated by that. I was really impressed. Yeah. You know, she was a 30 year old woman who owned a, a company and a, had an office in downtown Philadelphia, which I thought was just so freaking cool. Like, um, and a woman <laughs> of color too, she's a black woman. So I was just like, wow, this is like, I'd never really been this close to this. And then just got just in, I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with people's um, businesses, like the, ca the cafe that was near me that I could walk to and the little pizza shop and the bodega. Like I just really fell in love. It was my first time being in an urban setting too. So I got to see a lot of like hustle and bustle. Um, right. It, it just, it really broadened my perspective on like the life and the lifestyle people could really have. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at what point then did you decide, um, so you started working, what, at what point did you decide, hey, I want to, I want to start my own thing? Um, and, and how did you go about doing that? That didn't come until I moved to Atlanta. Um, I thought about it a little bit in Philly and just never did anything with it. Um, moved back to Atlanta. Um, I've been I've been back here at home for a while now. I moved back in like 06. Um, and I think maybe a few years after that, I started just revisiting my love for craft beer, started studying it, reading books, going to breweries. Um, Atlanta at the time just was just... Uh, just getting maybe a few breweries at the time, just kind of just growing in its infancy when it comes to craft beer. 
so I did a lot of studying and reading and, and um, probably like me, 08, 2008-ish, I started um, thinking about, you know, how I could really turn my passion into like a real job. Like, you know, what could I do in craft beer? What would that look like? Um, I started hosting uh, pairing parties and classes and events with my friends to teach them about craft beer. Um, those grew into paid events where people would actually pay me to come and listen to me talk about beer. And I was like, this is weird because <laughs> I do this for free. Um, and, and this was as a, a basically a side hustle while you were still working. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, okay. when, that's when I started Atlanta Beer Boutique. It actually started when I started reading. I started blogging about beer. And I knew at that time that I wanted a brick and mortar location, but I just I had no idea how I was going to get to it. It just didn't. Yeah. It seems what, what was so your far. stumbling block? Was it was it money? Was yeah, it like just, you didn't know how to make it all work? All of that. What yeah. Was it? So, yeah. you know, this is me coming into this as a project manager and as a planner, as someone with no background in hospitality and food or beverage, um, just a passion for it. And it just seemed like right. an insurmountable goal. I was like, I don't even know. I have I don't even know like the language well enough to own a business. So um while I was blogging and writing about beer, I started um, just reading about business and reading about retail and just trying to understand it. I had a friend who owned um, a retail clothing store at the time. So I would, you know, uh -huh. bend her ear just talking about the retail business and learn as much as I could. Um, and I just, you know, it just it just seemed like something that just it still didn't seem like it was something that I could do. It seemed like it just wasn't for me, like other people start businesses. You know, it just didn't seem like something I could do, but I, but I knew that I wanted it. So, and I, I didn't right. know how to get to it. So I was like, well, let me just yeah. at least immerse myself in craft beer, learn as much as I can about it. I felt very strongly that I needed to have like credentials or to have some, um, to build sort of some foundation and, and, uh, and credential myself. So, um, you know, that's when I started, I started reading and writing about it, blogging. I said, I'll, you know, at least as you blog, you learn so much yourself too, right? So I was like, that's well, true. this is helpful to me and helpful to others. I can do that. The classes kind of helped me create a buzz and a following. Um, and then eventually I wrote a book. Um, I was like, well, this is not as hard as I thought it was to actually write a book. But you know why though? I cheated. I took all of my blog posts and used them right. as a uh, content for my book. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you, uh, so that, that's actually a, a unique process in and of itself. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people think about writing a book and, and very few people actually make that jump. So how did you figure that part of it out? Um, did you like self-publish this? Mm -hmm. Like, how did you go about getting that made? I self-published. Yeah. I, um, I knew that I didn't want to write like a thick, dense book. I, it, it's called the chick's guide to beer. So the idea was for it to be like a reference manual. Or, you know, okay. a little a little book that someone would put in their pocket or take with them to a bar because that's the nerdy thing I did. I I would go to the bars in my neighborhood and take my books and my journals and just read and write about drink beer and drink beer and take notes and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? It'd be nice if someone had um, just a little guidebook and it's called The Chick's Guide to Beer because when I started hosting my craft beer events, I noticed about 75% of my attendees were ladies. And it was such a surprise to me. I, I don't know what I expected when I started hosting events, but I was pleasantly surprised that a lot of women just wanted to be at a place where they could learn about beer. Maybe it helped that I was a lady too. Um, 
but just to be in almost like a safe space to ask any question you wanted and to not feel like folks were looking at you weird and like you're not holding up the line at the bar to, you know, so I think that it, it was, ask questions and everything. Yeah. 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 So that, yeah. that, you know, was really my inspiration for the book. I was like, I have to give yeah. people more information, you know, and to make it easier for folks. But yeah, I, so I wrote it, I did an outline of that thing and went on, um, Fiverr to get all my graphics done, found someone to work with um, in that marketplace who could do my graphics. I found a friend who's a graphic designer who'd never laid out a book before, but said, can you lay out my book? She was like, sure, I'll try. (laughs) So yeah. And then I found um, WordPress, I think, not WordPress. I can't remember the name of the, now it's Kindle, Kindle Publishing and Amazon. They bought everything. But the company I used initially to um, self-publish, CreateSpace, that was the name of it. you just upload your your document. Someone will proof it. And if it's ready to go, they'll print it for you. So that was how I wrote my book. <laughs> uh, so do you think the fact that you were a woman leading an event about beer is the reason why you had that gender shift? I think so. Uh, from what you were expecting? 100%. I do. I yeah. do. Gender shift and cultural shift. There were a lot of women of color there too. Um, but really? just women huh. in general. I, I was just so... I was so pleasantly surprised. I just thought it'd be a room full of white guys with beards and I don't know who knew way more than I did about crap beer, (laughs) but it ended up being people who needed, you know, who needed the education, who wanted the education. And also like Atlanta is like a, it's an entertainment city. You know, we have a really strong food and beverage scene and entertainment scene. Yeah. So people are always looking for fun and interesting things to do. And I know folks have been to wine tastings before, um, but a beer tasting sounded a little different and unique. And so, uh, you know, the benefit of being in Atlanta is that people like to go out and like to do girls nights and yeah. like to do fun things. So I think that helped right. a little bit too. just kind of the culture of hanging out here in the city. So then at some point during all of this, then you decided like, Hey, you know what? I want to open my own, my own place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know obviously one of your issues was, was funding mm-hmm. and you decided to do a Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, and that looked like it was pretty successful, right? You, you got was. more than what you were aiming for. Heck yeah. I would have asked for more if I had known that it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I probably set the bar too low. I, my goal was $25,000 in 30 days. Um, and the reason I was, I set that goal and that, that amount really was because I knew, you know, I'd, um, I'd gotten through my business plan. I did an incubator program with Emory university here to help me write my business plan and get ready to open my business. And I knew how much that was going to cost. And I knew that I didn't have the 20% to put down on a loan to secure that funding uh, for myself. So I had to raise it. You know, I don't have like a rich auntie or uh, an inheritance (laughs) waiting on me anywhere. So I had to, had to, to hustle and get it myself. Um, and a Kickstarter campaign at the time was, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, so that was the, the, the reasoning behind setting the 25 K goal. And, uh, and I, I raised 30, 30,000 in, um, 30 days. And it didn't, I mean, it took work every single day, every single day, but it really helped, um, not only kind of promote my business because Kickstarter as a platform promotes you, but, um, the way that I set up my campaign was through establishing ambassadors. So these are like close friends of mine who I knew I could count on to post on my behalf, friends who had a a slightly different following than I did, Um, Mm -hmm. friends from outside of craft beer who could say, hey, this is my friend. She's doing this campaign for this reason. Please support her. So 
I think that helped kind of grow my following to people outside of craft beer. Um, so the campaign was so helpful in that regard too. not only raising money, but really just helping to promote me as a business and as a brand. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. So, okay, so you got you got the money, you got more than what you were expecting. You found the spot in um, 2019 and you started building out in kind of summer, spring. Um, wh- what happened then? Yeah, um, I went through all of the several, several permitting um interviews and this um, is with the city of Atlanta or with the city, with the county, with every single body. (laughs) It's (laughs) such a long process. So the weird thing um, that I heard has changed a lot since COVID um, is that in Atlanta, every single department, they don't have consolidated permitting. Right. So the building code inspector has to come out separate from the, the health inspector and the health department is separate from the fire is oh, wow. from, like they're all separate. So, and you have to have one before you move on to the next. So there's like a chain of command that you have to go through. Right. Um, oh, so you can't, takes, you can't do them in any order that you want. There's a, there's a specified yeah. order that they have to happen in. Specified order and they can't, and you can't schedule them concurrently. You have to have the approval of one before you move on to the next. Um, oh, wow. So how May, long did this take? Oh, how many months, weeks? Months. months. It took months. So once I had most things built out, I got the certificate of occupancy, which was good, which means that I could at least start doing stuff in the space. But it took months to get through all of the other permits, um, probably a total of four months to get through wow. the whole process. Meanwhile, you know, I'm getting stuff in though. I'm getting in my shelving and having that built in the space. I'm getting my right. draperies hung. I'm getting, you know, the place painted. Um, so we're working through and, and ready and, and waiting. And, you know, as we hit these hurdles for permitting, just, you know, pausing for a minute and then picking back up whenever we can. So um, work was still happening, but it took uh, it took months for that to roll out just because it just... I don't know. I guess they have a thousand million people they're permitting at one time in the city. It's a big city. So uh, it just, it just, it, it's a, it belabors itself. So after a while and it just, it just feels like it's never going to happen, but eventually I have everything ready and I'm ready to go. This was January, 2020 where I Uh have all of my permits in place. Okay. And I'm ready to go for the liquor licensing part. That's the last thing you can do, by the way, you have to have all of your permits in place before you can apply for a liquor license from the city first, and then you apply to the one for the state of Georgia. So, um, and none of that is allowed until you have all of the other permits and the place is pretty much ready to open up. Okay. So, I mean, there, there's a risk there, right? Like your main thing you're doing is related to alcohol and liquor. And if you don't get that liquor license, then it doesn't matter that all the other things got done. Absolutely not. It does not. (laughs) So, so what happened? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, the first step is to go to Atlanta police department who issues liquor licenses, uh, for the city. Um, you start your application through them and they schedule all your meetings. You have to go to the neighborhood association, 
You have to go to the neighborhood planning unit, which is a larger sort of coalition of neighborhoods. And then you go before the alcohol licensing review board. Okay. Um, so I'd gone through the neighborhood um, level um, and the same thing here. You have to go through one level before they can schedule the next. So I went through that in January. Um, and then by February, they gave me my date to go before the liquor and review board, which was going to be in April. So um, I was geared up, ready to go. Um, I had a soft launch in um, the end of January just to invite people to my space. All the folks who supported me from Kickstarter, all my friends, yeah. family, just everyone. I had a big party there. I got lots of beer donated. So I can't sell beer at this time, right? But I can give beer away. So okay. we had um, kegs. We, you know, we activated the, the, the kegerator machine that I had with two kegs from some local beer folks and just had party had a party for the neighborhood the next day, just to bring your own pint glass party. And I filled, filled up beer and just met the neighbors and had a really good time. Nice. And was getting ready for my, for my interview with the liquor review board. And then the city shut down, the world shut down, as we know, I think right. that February 14th, Mar March um, 14th, March 13th. Yeah. 14th. March, March 13th, 14th, February 14th is when I got, um, is when I had my final sort of hoorah, my party. Um, wow. And so a month before COVID hit. Yeah. I was like, yay, this is all going to happen. We're just waiting on the review board. Um, that obviously did not happen because my interview was going to be in, uh, in the spring. Yeah. And I just didn't, you know, I didn't know that the city was going to shut down forever. So I was like, oh, okay, it's okay. We'll, we'll just reschedule. They canceled everything. City uh -huh. of Atlanta, I think like a lot of cities just weren't, wasn't really ready or equipped to handle business virtually and online. Right. Right. And they also, of course, like the rest of the world, didn't think that it was going to be a really long, drawn out, prolonged pandemic. Right. Um, I think they thought, well, we'll get back to business in a few months. You know, this won't last forever. Right. And it, it has lasted forever. <laughs> but <laughs> my, uh, yeah, so I, my meeting kept getting canceled and pushed back and indefinitely at this time. By yeah. the time uh, April, May rolls around, the city has no plans of opening and doing business. They still hadn't gotten even city council uh, meetings online virtually yet. Everything wow. just really paused. Um, and in this time, uh, my landlord decided, well, you know, we'll, you know, we'll give you a little bit of leeway on your lease. We don't, we don't expect this to be a, a, a long, you know, a long-standing thing issue is what I'm sure they're thinking. So right. they were like, well, and the reason why I needed leniency on my lease, I should mention this is very important, is because the SBA, when the pandemic happened, if you had a, a an SBA, if you had a loan with them through the SBA, didn't matter mm -hmm. who your bank was, but if you had a small business loan that wasn't fully funded or that was still open, um, which my loan was, I'd spent most of my money on the build out. At this time, there's money left in my loan go towards working capital and inventory because that was the last thing I had to buy and then working right. capital just to stay afloat. Um, but at that time, they froze my loan and every other loan in that position because it was just wow. so risky to them. Um, so I had no access to working capital. So I couldn't continue to pay utilities, lease, um, you know, equipment costs, things that I was just carrying and waiting to open. Um, right. It timed out really well, though. If, if things had happened... It wouldn't have been a big deal. But, you know, at this point, I'm burning through my own savings, burning through my money. The city didn't resume. I, I don't think they resumed their review board um, interviews until August. 
um, or September. So that was six months later. Um, And I just, I didn't have the personal, I had some personal funding. I refused to burn through my personal um, savings again. Right. Um, Because you've got to think about yourself too. And like, what if this goes on for a long time and you need to stay afloat personally as well? Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing happened that was kind of key to me making this decision is when I went to the neighborhood review board um, and with Atlanta police department, they looked at the zoning and it's really weird in Atlanta. So the police department interprets zoning code that is written by the planning department. Okay. So, right. Um, which is very interesting, interesting setup. Um, when I found this location and went through the planning department and looked at the zoning, the zoning was fine. There was nothing wrong with what I wanted to do. I could do everything I wanted to do because of the special use district that I was in. The police department thought otherwise. And when I went to them to finalize my application, they said, well, you can't do both. You can't be a bottle shop and a bar in this neighborhood which is totally counter to what the zone that I was in. It was a mixed use zone. So the spirit of that zone is to be, and it was a neighborhood scale zone. So the spirit of that zone is to be, you know, very walkable, um, close uh, to encourage these kinds of uh, co-location of uses and just a vibe for a district. So they told me I had to pick one and I decided, okay, well, Jen, what do you like most about craft beer? Is it selling bottles or is it like the community part, like hanging out with people, being able to have classes, talking? And of course, that's the core. That's where I started is, you know, sharing information and creating community around beer. So I chose bar because I was like, well, that's the only of these two uses. If I have a bottle shop, I can't do tastings here. But if I have a bar, I can still do tastings and classes and such. So I chose, okay, let's just go forward with this as a bar. My attorney said, yeah, let's just move forward with that. We could probably come back and get an amendment and get you into the package soon. So I said, cool, we'll go for the bar. And probably the wrong choice. Uh, (laughs) After learning that bars were not allowed to open like for months in Atlanta, (laughs) if I had known that I probably would have chosen the bottle shop. But it just, you know, who knew that any of this was going to happen? But right. um, Yeah. So did you end up? Shutting this down then? Is I that, had to. I had to that, shut down. Yeah. Not only because I was burning through my, my money, but because there was no end in sight to this bar closures. And, you know, yeah. bars and were treated like concert halls and movie theaters. They were in the same class right. during COVID of places that were super spread it, super spreader locations. Right. So which which I, makes sense now in retrospect through everything that we've lived through. But 100%. do you feel like... If you'd made a different choice then, do you think the beer boutique would still be around? Um, it's hard to say. I, I think it may have been. I think it may have been. I I do know that that it still would have been a really difficult time to try to open a brand new business. Um, yeah. Atlanta also still was not very friendly to um, delivery of alcohol and to go mm-hmm. sales. Um. So, you know, I I know some folks who own wine shops who had um, who had success during the pandemic because of, you know, curbside pickup and 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 things that they could do for their business. Um, But Atlanta didn't update their delivery of alcohol laws until almost a year later after the pandemic. Um, You know, it, it 
It's hard to say. I mean, I, I would have probably had to let people go. I would have had to fire staff. Um, I don't know how I would have managed being the sole proprietor of a beer boutique and working a full-time job because my um, my plan was to hire staff to, to, to run the beer boutique and for me to, you know, come what I could after work and <laughs> relieve people. But it, it yeah. just, I, I don't know. I don't know, Sanjay, if it would have been successful because of still all the hurdles that I would have had to have you know, made it over as a brand new yeah. business opening in yeah. the pandemic. The, the, the way you describe it too, it feels like that would have been a lot less fun of it a place. It wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. That's the other yeah. thing. I, I'm not upset that I chose, you know, when I had to choose between a bar and a package store, I'm not upset that I chose um, the bar because that, you know, it, like you said, it just, that's where the fun is for me is, um, Right. Pouring, pouring beers and talking and being around people. Yeah. So yeah, it wouldn't yeah. have been the same. So, okay. Same. You, you, you had to shut this down then. Mm-hmm. You, and then, and then what did you, you're like, okay, I'm, well, I'm done with trying to start businesses. No, not at all. The bank actually gave me, so after working with them through like a couple of deferments um, that they allowed, they, they really, the banker I was working with directly really believed in my business and really wanted to help me find a location and had worked out with the SBA that they could release the rest of my funding and maybe even increase my loan if I found another location. Because remember, I burned through all of my money. Like I was just down to working capital and inventory um, left right. in, my, in my loan. So they were going to have to give me more money if I were to find another location. And because I wanted to be a bar, I had to find a space that had, in my opinion, had a patio. This place I was at didn't have any outdoor seating, no option for it. It was just a small enclosed COVID trap. So I was trying to find a, a business that was opposite of that. Um, and we just, we never found anything that the bank really, really liked. I found things that I liked, but not things that the bank would really, really get behind. Um, there was one location that seemed like it would work out and it fell through um, in yeah. negotiations with the lease. So that's, you know, that probably a, a 2021 in October is when I auctioned off all of the equipment that I was. I still had all my equipment, furniture, fixtures, shelving, all that stuff in storage because I was planning on opening. Right. Um, auctioned it off in October, started paying back that loan. I'd gotten some federal funds. I got like the restaurant revitalization fund that I was just uh-huh. holding on to. And then I I was applying for grants like crazy all 2020 and some of 2021 just to get more funding to open up and ended up yeah. dumping all of that into the SBA loan to reduce the balance of that and start figuring out how to pay that back. Um, but in the meantime, decided that I wanted to launch a new business. Um, me, the non-entrepreneur, launched another business. Um, I wanted to open, I've always wanted to do a conference, a craft beer conference. And uh-huh. um, timing just never seemed right. And uh, in 2020, I was like, well, it's a pandemic, so you can't do a conference. And then in 2021, I decided, well, you should at least do something. Like do something virtual, see what happens. Um, you know, line it up with American Craft Beer Week, which is in May. And make a thing out of it, like just do something. And so I hosted, um, I launched a company, Crafted for Action, 
And it's uh, going back to the stuff I love, just hosting events, parties, workshops. Um, and the signature event of Crafted for Action is Craft Beer Con, which is a virtual craft beer conference um, that launched last year in 2021. And uh, in addition to the, to the panels, which um, we did 13 panels over a few days, um, I also hosted really small in-person events. So it was, I really wanted people to still be able to get together who were local in Atlanta. Um, so right. I did things like brew days and happy hours and um, some panel discussions about collaboration. And um, for the first year, I was really, really surprised that, first of all, I pulled it off in like six to eight weeks. It was a very last minute decision because it, like uh-huh. for real, it really wasn't supposed to be a conference. It just grew into a conference. Honestly, I, I knew that I wanted to feel almost like a conference, but my plan really was to just do a few events during American craft beer week and just see what happened. And then it just kept growing, growing, growing into craft beer con. So here I am my second year planning it for uh, May 11th through 14th. Um, still mostly virtual panels, um, but even bigger and better in-person events uh, throughout that that uh, four-day period. So that's what I pivoted into. Yeah. So for listeners that are, are thinking that they might want to come to this, um, are the are the in-person events only in one city? Are they in multiple cities? Like how does in that Atlanta. part of it work? Just Atlanta. Just in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The virtual uh, sessions are everywhere so you can get virtual everywhere, everywhere. Obviously, yeah yeah but yeah in-person stuff's happening here in the city of atlanta um yeah at a couple different and, and is that a is that a like easier to manage for you decision or yeah. is it something else that's driving that absolutely um i mean my goal is for it to uh, to you know i wanted to be able to do it in person this year honestly but i just still didn't feel comfortable planning something in person um yeah you know, just that the uncertainty around the pandemic was just right. kind of worrying me. So, right. yeah, my goal and, and really you, was, you've been bitten by that once already. Oh so yeah, you, you yeah. Go, I'm a little cautious, go, go a little more cautious than normal. So, <laughs> I think you're now at the point where I don't think you can call yourself a, a not entrepreneur anymore. This is how this is the second time that you've gone back to the well, um, <laughs> and and in the same space. And and I feel like you're. Yeah you're further deepening your experience and expertise. So does that mean that, you know, down the line, once we are really post pandemic, um, am I going to hear Jen is no longer a city planner and is going all in on beer and, and, and starting up yet another business. Is that like your vision for where you're going to go? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to retire from being a city planner. I just, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) It has paid the way for, you know, for a very long time, for 20 years for me, but it's, um, I'm just ready to shift and to start, you know, something new and fresh and to be really immersed in craft beer and for it to be my, my everyday day-to-day kind of, kind of thing. I don't, um, I don't see myself, um, being this excited about much else, honestly. And, uh, there's so many opportunities within craft beer. Um, I mean, I've, think I've shown myself that just from going from being a bottle shop owner to uh, now a conference planner and promoter, but so many opportunities. And again, like the thing that I love so much about it is the community and so many ways to bring people together. Craft beer is, I mean, it's everywhere. There's almost every country on, on the planet has its own signature craft beer. And it's the third most popular beverage in the world 
Like, so it's, it's just such a unifying thread among cultures and people. And I'm really interested in finding new ways to bring that to the forefront and to use it as a way to connect people and to just bring different folks together who may not have a chance to, to be shoulder to shoulder or, you know, elbow to elbow at a bar and to talk about, you know, stuff that matters. So there's so many ways that I could do that in craft beer. So I'm excited about the future for it. I got to say, I I am excited for you. Um, And just hearing your story and knowing kind of the trials and tribulations that you've been through uh, and to stick with it and going forward again um, I think that says a lot about you as as a person and, and the perseverance. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of that engineering uh, in there too, of like probably. I'm going to just keep hammering a problem away at solving. It. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, a little problem yeah. solving in there. So um, I'm super excited for you as well. So um, listeners that might want to attend the uh, the conference in May, where can they go to find out more information and buy tickets? Uh, you go to craftedforaction.com. Yeah, right now, um, I just closed the, um, I had a, a open call for panelists and panel discussions because I really wanted to kind of crowdsource the ideas for this year's conference. Um, so that just closed. And if you go to the website now, you'll still see the save the date up um, and registration will open really soon. So I look forward to seeing some new faces virtually and in Atlanta if people want to make the trek down. There you go. Jen, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find me on Twitter at at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparikh.com. 